Hi, my name is Jeff Redding. I'm a preaching elder here at Walton Community Church in Monroe, Georgia. Before we begin the sermon, our church would like to invite you to join us as we gather every Sunday morning for worship at 10 a.m. You can learn more about our church on our website at waltoncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening. All right, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you all again. I am going to use the whiteboard one last time, for a while at least. And uh, we're going to continue this little, kind. Of, it's sort of a break from Hebrews, but it really goes along with it. Um, but we've been thinking about thoughts and emotions. And if you haven't, if you've missed either one of the last two weeks, I strongly would encourage you to, to, to watch the videos. They're online because some of the things, I'll, I'll do a quick review this morning, but a lot of the stuff that I've gone over, I think is really important. It's helped me. It's kind of given me a framework for thinking through things. I'm hoping that you're thinking about this stuff during the week and really, really applying it because for me, it's been really uh, transformational. So uh, I'm going to go, uh, some of the stuff this morning may be kind of disjointed, but there's a lot of things that I want to say and I want to wrap it up today. So, uh, so that's why it may seem kind of, like I said, disjointed. I'm going to try to go fast. Um, but one of the things I've been talking about is, uh, as I said, thoughts and emotions. Um, let me get that, brother. You got it? All right. Thoughts and emotions. So I've got this sort of flow chart thing, and I'm going to just quickly go through it again. So we've been, so, so the way I'm talking about it is external life, circumstances, just things that happen to us, whether suffering or joy, the things that come at us. The most important thing, a lot of times we can't control what goes on, right? We can't have some control, but the older you get, the more you realize the less control you have over things. So a lot of this we can't control, but really what's the most important thing is our response to it. Are we going to respond in faith or are we going to respond with obedience? So the way I'm thinking about it is, and, and I've got one that's uh, a little, I want to add something to it. Um, so we respond with, we think about things, right? So it, it's, our, it's our thoughts. So I've got emotions going back here. I mean, if something happens, something happens, you don't know about it, right? If you're asleep and something happens, then you, you, you have no thoughts about it. It's going to have no effect on you. So it's how you think about things when they happen. How you think then results in your emotions. And, and the reason I have this arrow going back is your emotions also affect your thoughts. So it's kind of, it can be kind of a loop this way. Then your emotions then lead to your behavior. Your, and so with thoughts, I've got things like truth, what we think about God's word, how we interpret things. We could say our perspective, focus, whatever. This is stuff that goes on in our mind. This then leads to, to our emotions, uh, what we feel. This then leads to behavior. And so emotions can be bad if, if we have like if we are sad or we are angry or anxious or whatever, this can lead to how we think about things, right? So if I'm, and we've talked about how we want to be logical, we want things to fit together, and what we usually do is we want to go back here to our circumstances. That's what we normally think about is we think that our emotions are going to line up with our circumstances. So for example, we think if I have lots of money, I will always be happy, right? Or if I marry the right person, I will always be happy. It's just not the case. It's simply not the case. It's it, a huge part of your emotions are how you think about things. So then, so the way then you, your emotions are, if, like I said, if, if we want things to be consistent, I've talked about this before, if I am angry, 
right? If I'm angry or if I'm sad, I'm logical. I want things to fit. So what I do, if you're going to be passive about it, we don't want to do this, but if we're passive about it, what we do is we look back to circumstances to justify our anger. If I'm angry, then everything makes me mad. And I will look around and I will look for things that make me mad. Or if I'm sad, I will look at things around me to make me sad. At the same time, good emotions can motivate us, so bad emotions can motivate us to have bad behavior. If I'm angry, then I will lash out. I will think about all the harm people have done to you or stuff that you have done out of bad emotions. Think about things you've said to hurt people if you've been in a bad spot emotionally, okay? This is, this is just real life. Same time, if you have good emotions, it can lead to good behavior. I was thinking about, uh, in fact, next week in Mark 1, we'll see that one of these occasions where Jesus was moved with pity and then he did something. Over and over again, you're reading the gospel, he was moved with compassion and then he healed somebody. So good emotions like compassion or pity can lead to good behavior, okay? So I've got growth, holiness, decisions, obedience, intimacy with God, all these things. This is our conduct. And then the ultimate goal is God's glory. So all of this is leading to God's glory. I've also got this thing up here about God's grace influencing all of these things. So this is not us just willing ourselves by our sheer strength to do these things. God's grace is motivating and energizing us, okay? All right, One, and, and then right here too, on, on uh, I'll talk about it in just a second, other factors will influence emotions. I'm going to address it quickly. So what... What I am hoping is as we're going sort of through this framework, you'll think about your own life as you're in the moment, right? Or you'll observe it. And the reason I have cowboys up here, I know this may seem weird, I've got cowboys. The reason I was thinking about this is because I was watching the Dallas, I grew up outside of Dallas, I was watching the Dallas Cowboys, a huge Cowboys fan when I was little. Now I root for a real winner, Falcons. So... uh, (laughs) I don't, I don't bother with the Cowboys anymore. But I was watching the Cowboys, and I'm, like I used to live and die Cowboys. Grew up about 30 miles outside of Dallas. I'm watching the Cowboys last week. They're the number one offense in the NFL. If you watch that game, what happened was they started experiencing some suffering, some, some adversity, and it led to emotions. Two of their best players, Dak Prescott and C.D. Lamb, started getting frustrated and it led to this conduct and they were griping at each other and things just spun out of control. They could not pause and and direct their thoughts to what they should. They allowed their emotions to, to get run over them, to take control, and they got their fannies whooped, okay? This is real life in your own life. What I'm asking you to think about is when you have, and we talked about it, and I'll I'll touch on it in just a second, but when we have these emotions, to pause, okay? Pause and think, because your thinking, what I'm going to say is your thinking has this massive effect on your emotions. Last week, for example, we looked at Psalm 42.5. If you want to look at it again, it's just one verse, but Psalm 42.5 It says, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? What the psalmist does is he doesn't allow the emotions to control him. He's sad. He's depressed. But he doesn't allow the emotions to to run him over and control him. He pauses. And what I've said, I've kind of done this thing about he pauses. He takes a step back. Okay, He doesn't ignore his emotions either. 
He pays attention to the emotions. Sometimes you'll hear people say, just ignore your emotions and be obedient, right? Have you ever read the Psalms? Do they ignore their emotions or do they think about their emotions? Over and over, the psalmists are saying, I am in this bad spot. I am cast out there. So if someone says, ignore your emotions, then I have to say, well, let's, let's be obedient to the Lord and listen to what he has to say, okay? Because the Psalms talk about paying attention to your emotions. You just don't let them run you. So, so the psalmist says, why are you cast down on my soul? He pays attention to his emotions, but he stops and he sort of separates. He says, why are you cast down? Like, oh, my soul, almost like a third person. He pauses, he separates. Then he challenges his emotion with truth. He says, hope in God. Speak truth to yourself. Hope in God. Why? He says, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So I'm saying pause, pay attention, pay attention to the emotion, separate to the extent you can, and then challenge that emotion. Because what happens is emotions, if you don't, if you don't continually fuel them with more thoughts firing you up, the emotions will just pass, okay? If you let them go. Now, it's hard, and I've tried to stress this, it's very difficult to control your emotions, right? When you're angry, sad, whatever, you can't just flip a switch and then all of a sudden be happy. But you can more easily control your thoughts, and that's what God tells us to do over and over again. We've looked at, we've looked at Matthew 6, Colossians 3, Philippians 4, where, where Jesus says, don't be anxious. How do you solve that? Think. Consider the birds of the air. Think about how your father takes care of the birds, okay? Think about how your father takes care of the birds. He cares a lot more for you than he does the birds. So how do you battle anxiety? You think. What, what does Paul say in like Colossians 3 and Philippians 4? He's talking about fits of anger and these, these unhealthy, sinful emotions. What does he say? Think. Set your minds on things above, not on things below, right? Whatever is, there's another one. I think it's in Philippians 4. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is worthy of praise, what's worthy of praise? God, right? Set, think about these things. So over and over, he's telling us that, that we need to set our minds on truth. Jesus, when he's confronting Peter, says, you are not setting your minds on the things of God. Right? So it's, a lot of it is about setting your minds on truth, on God's truth. That's why knowing God's word, that's why discipleship is so important, okay? And, and two, I'll say this, I have been negligent in ignoring emotions, but I was talking with a friend last week. Like, I've focused on truth and thoughts and on obedience, but really, the battle oftentimes is right here. The battle is right here. This is the hardest part, okay? So we need to, so how, again, how do you do this? A big part of it is, is our thoughts, Okay? Now, I'm going to say this. As I said, other factors can contribute to our emotions. I'm going to go through these super fast, but I do want to recognize and I want to, that there are things that can affect our emotions, and I want to offer some advice, okay? So this is kind of disjointed, but I want to recognize it because I want to finish it today. I don't want to do this anymore for a while. Although, I do want to say this. Whenever I'm, we're teaching, whenever anybody is up here teaching God's truth, Sunday school teacher, pulpit, uh, in your home, you're teaching your kids, whatever, you're studying on your own, I want you to think about this to say, what truth can I think about to battle this like unhealthy emotion or this unhealthy conduct? This is why 
think, we don't just learn God's word just to have knowledge. What is it, 1 Corinthians 8, knowledge puffs up. If you're just learning stuff, just to learn stuff, all it will do is make you proud. So it, we want it to affect our emotions, which then leads to growth, spiritual, emotional growth, holiness, obedience, which is ultimately for the glory of God. Okay, so, but other factors, okay? Again, this is practical stuff. I want to touch on it very quickly. First of all, God has made us physical creatures, right? We have bodies. We can't ignore that fact. We have bodies. And there are things that can cause us to have emotional problems, physical things like hormones, like thyroid problems. And my encouragement is if you realize that you have these emotional problems and they're not going away with other stuff, go see a doctor. There's a way to address these things. It could be something physical in your body. Another one, and I've talked about this a long time ago in a sermon on, I think, on depression, but another huge factor in how we think and feel these emotions is sleep. Psalm 127.2 says that sleep is a gift from God. Sleep is a gift from God. And get this, 100 years ago, the average American got two and a half more hours of sleep a night than we do. Two and a half hours, and I'm convinced that the lack of sleep, we think I'm tough, I can go on four hours of sleep a night or whatever. Some people can, but the vast majority of people need eight hours of sleep, just being real. And I think this is one of the main reasons in our culture why we have this epidemic of depression and anxiety. A big part of it, I think, is lack of sleep, okay? So just practical stuff, get to bed earlier. I know as you get older, I have fought this. When you get older, it is hard to get good sleep. When I was a kid, you could just, I could drink 10 Cokes and immediately go to sleep and sleep for 10 hours, right? When you, when you get older, it's super hard, but do what you can to try to get good sleep, all right? In fact, a lack of, of good sleep is the number one predictor for depression and anxiety. Next one, again, we're physical. We're talking about factors. We're physical creatures. Exercise. Exercise is a massive thing. In years past, people worked outside. They were physically active. Nowadays, we do more of staying inside and sitting around. A lack of exercise is, is just really killing us. So do something. Weightlifting, I do weightlifting, a little bit of cardio. I don't do a lot, but there have been countless studies that show that give, getting even a little bit of intense exercise every day, even just a little bit, can dramatically improve your emotional health, which will then improve your spiritual life, right? So, so exercise. Another one is diet. In my view, and a lot of this we can't help, but in my view, the, our American diet is horrible. Uh, a lot of it you can't avoid. Just a lot of stuff in food is just really bad for you, and you can try all you want, but it's really difficult. But the food that we eat affects us in a big way. For example, I did not, this blew me away. There was a recent study, there was a recent study that showed that people with severe anxiety almost always have poor gut bacteria. Is that not the weirdest thing? So it could be that you have this poor gut bacteria, which then makes you have this feeling of being anxious, okay? So just a practical thing, I take like a probiotic with a yogurt, and I've noticed that my anxiety is decreased with that, all right? So Google, I'm not telling you, I'm not saying this is solving the problem. I'm asking you to think about this. Google it, do some research on it, make a difference. Next one, sunlight, a lack of sunlight in your eyes and on your skin can make a massive difference in 
things like depression, anxiety. I saw a thing where even a vitamin D deficiency can lead to early onset dementia. Okay, so again, what, how is our culture? Most of the time we're inside, right? We cover ourselves with sunscreen. We stay inside all the time. In my view, getting out early in the sunlight, even five to ten minutes, getting it in your eyes and on your skin, take your sunglasses off in the morning, it'll have a dramatic effect on your life, all right? Next one in our culture, cut down on social media. Social media is another one. And big tech companies know this. If you've ever seen the, the documentary, The Social Dilemma, big tech companies know that Instagram, TikTok, whatever, cause depression. They know that. The executives won't let their kids on it, but they want your kids on it, right? They want y'all on it. They know it causes depression and anxiety. I'm asking you to think about how you consume social media because it has a big effect on you. All right, so with all these... What I'm saying is any improvement, don't think that you have to do, don't think you say, I can't do all that. Any improvement will help. If you, if you exercise zero, getting two minutes of exercise, that has a dramatic improvement, okay? Has a big effect on you. Other stuff besides physical things, things like relationships. God has made us to be in relationships with one another. And when you're talking with something, when somebody, when you're talking with a friend, just think about how you feel as you're in the middle of a conversation. When you talk with an encouraging friend, everything just relaxes. You start feeling better. God has made us this way, to be in relationship with one another. So do what you can to try to be in, to have conversations. Even small conversations can make a massive difference in your life, okay? Another one, and this is a random thing, but I, I wanted to, Give it out there because I've mentioned it to a couple of people. It's a specific thing, but it's, it's a... I mentioned sort of it last week when I talked about, uh, about how we're supposed to take every thought captive, you know, but then like Henry Cloud says, you can let that prisoner walk around the prison yard for a little bit and then lock him back up. There is a, th there is a writing protocol that has helped, specifically designed for veterans with PTSD, but it helps with anybody who's gone through something upsetting. And here's the protocol. 15 minutes, you set a timer, 15 minutes, and you write about something that upset you. 15 minutes. You time it out. You, you think about your thoughts and your emotions about then and your thoughts and emotions about it now. 15 minutes when the timer goes off, you stop, you put it away, do that four days in a row. There have been like over 200 studies that show that this helps. It's something about, like that Psalm 42.5, about separating. Why are you cast down? It's something about getting it on paper has a massive help for people, okay? So 15 minutes writing down thoughts and emotions about something upsetting four days in a row. All right, other things, and this is basic, but it is so important, spending time with God in his word and in prayer in the morning. Just do it every day. You need intimacy with the Lord. You need to hear him speak to you through his word. You need to communicate with him in prayer. We need this. So develop this as a habit. Don't think of it as a burden. This is a, this is a, a way to draw near to the Lord who loves you. Okay, This is a huge thing. It's basic, but it is so important. It's really vital for your life. Another one, very practical, and I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to make a bunch of rules. I'm trying to be helpful, right? One, another one is be in church regularly. 
be in church regularly. Evidence is overwhelming that people dealing with depression, anxiety, and any other things get better much sooner if they're regularly in church, even when they don't feel like it, okay? As he, think about that, the only time, I think the only time in the Bible where the word habit is used is in Hebrews 10.25, where it says, I'm paraphrasing, don't get into the habit of avoiding church, right? It's don't get into the habit of neglecting to gather together. So don't get into the habit of avoiding church, okay? So get in the habit of it. And speaking of habits, and this is again a huge part of this, if you get into the habit of like coming to church or reading your Bible and praying or exercise or getting sunlight or whatever, if you get into, the beautiful thing about habits is you don't have to rely on motivation, okay? As if you think this, I need to get motivated to go to church or I need to get motivated to exercise or whatever. Or if I need to get motivated to study for my classes. If that's your attitude, that's not good because honestly relying on motivation for a long period of time is just not sustainable. So make it a habit. Because think about it. Do you need to get motivated to brush your teeth? Do you, do, you need to, do you need to say, I'm meeting with somebody important today, so I need to get motivated to brush my teeth? No. Or I need to take, get motivated to take a shower? No. You don't need motivation to brush your teeth. You just brush your teeth and take a shower because that's a habit of yours, right? You're not relying on motivation to do that. At least I hope most of you are not relying on motivation to brush your teeth and take a shower, right? So if you do these good things and they just become a habit, like, we just go to church, I exercise, I just brush my teeth. It's just one more thing that you get into the habit of doing. It just, it, it's one of these wonderful ways of just improving all of this by God's grace. So ask God to help you with that, okay? All right, so those are just random, I know, factors and tips for addressing some of this stuff. I want to get back to the thoughts and emotions thing, okay? I said this over and over again that our thoughts have this huge impact on our emotions. God tells us to cultivate both godly emotions and godly behavior. And, and what we do is we've got to be active in this. We've got to fight. We can't just be passive in this. I'm going to give you one more example. I'm going to ask you to turn to Psalm 73. This is one more example of how our thinking affects our emotions, and then it goes to obedience and intimacy with God and worship of the Lord, okay? Look at Psalm 73. The context of this psalm is the psalm of Asaph. And the psalmist is, this is what he is seeing, okay? And we'll, we'll see it as we go through it. He's looking out and he is seeing ungodly people who are violent and wicked. They're rich and they have no problems. They don't care at all about God. And he's seeing them how they have no problems. Okay? And he starts to look at his own life and he says, why am I following God and doing all this when I have all this suffering and they are doing whatever they want with no regard for God, and they have life just easy, okay? Watch this. Look at Psalm 73, beginning verse 3. 
He said, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. He sees these wicked people, they're prosperous, they're arrogant. He says, they have no pangs until death. They have no problems until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. And in this culture, people barely had enough to eat. So, I mean, it could be a lot of people look like Holocaust victims, right? But these people who are wicked just look fine. And he says, verse 5, they are not in trouble. These wicked people, they are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. He says, therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Uh, He says, verse 7, their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. So they're doing all this wicked stuff, but they have no problems, right? They're wealthy, they violent, all this stuff. Verse 9, they set their mouths against the heavens and their tongues strut through the earth. Therefore, therefore his people, look at verse 11 actually. Look at verse 11. It says, and they say, these people say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the most high? You see what he's saying? That's a direct, just affront to God. They're saying, I can do whatever I want, God. And he ain't going to do nothing. I'll do whatever I want. And what, what can God do? He can't do anything to me. That's the way they live, okay? It's just an assault. It's an arrogance. He's, verse 12, he says, Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. And look what he says. So, so he's looking at these people. What, is, what are his emotions? He's jealous. He's angry. He's seeing these people who hate God and they're prospering. And look what he says in verse 13. He says, all in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. He says, me being obedient to God, me being faithful, total waste of time. I just, this is a total waste. Look at these people, they're wicked, they hate God. They even tell God, what are you going to do? Do something about it. Remember, if you ever watched Forrest Gump, Lieutenant Dan, when he's on top of the mast, he's like, bring it on, you know. That's what they're doing. And there's nothing. And then he looks at his own life, and he says, I have been obedient, and all I'm getting is trouble. What? He's basically saying, how stupid is it for me to follow God? That's what he's saying, okay? Look at verse 15, though. But then he says, if I had said I will speak thus, if I say all this, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. He said, I can't say this out loud, right? Because it would be detrimental to God's people. But then, look what he does. So these are his emotions, and now look what he does. He goes to thoughts, and he goes to truth. Look at verse 16. He says, when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. So he pauses. He becomes aware of what he's feeling. And he starts thinking about truth. Verse 17. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. You see what he says? He looks at these people. Yeah, they're prosperous. You know what their their end is? It's judgment. It's God's judgment. And he sees that. Verse 18, he says, truly you have set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors like a dream when one awakes. O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. Look at verse 21. When my soul was embittered, say he recognizes his emotion. When I was pricked in heart, 
He said, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. When I allowed my emotions to run and control me, I was like an animal. That's what animals do. They just allow their instincts to take over. I was just brutish. And then he, again, now in verse 23, he reminds himself of truth, right? Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. They're going to hell. They're going in judgment. He said, you're going to receive me to glory. He thinks about this truth. He says, who am I of heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. You see what he's doing? But for me, it is good to be near God. I've made the Lord my God, my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. You see what he's doing there? He's he's challenging his emotions with God's truth. He's not allowing his emotions to just control him. Or he did for a while. He was like an animal. But then he got his mind right and started doing this, okay? So this is what we are called to do. I've talked about this over and over again. In Romans 6.12, God says, don't allow these ungodly emotions or passions to control you. 2 Corinthians 10.5, we take every thought captive to obey Christ, right? Just like a prisoner, we take that thought and put him in prison. So now think about your own life. And this may seem disjointed, but it goes along with it. Think about in your own life, your own tendencies. Part of, of growing in grace is to know your own tendencies. In sports, like when we play baseball, we would have scouts to scout out tendencies of other teams. Baseball pitchers, hitters, whatever, their tendencies. If I knew the tendency of a guy, if I'm pitching and I knew a guy, tendency was a guy, he loved a high fastball, I'd throw that thing up here and he could not resist. That was his tendency, okay? So we have to know our own tendencies. Quarterbacks in football. We have to know the other team's tendencies. We'll think about we also, best teams, self-scout. They know what their tendencies are. They look at their own team and their own self, all right? This is what we should do in our own lives. You know what? The enemy, you know what? The enemy knows your tendencies. Do you know that? He knows your tendencies. He knows where to get at you. He has scouted you. And we need to self-scout. We need to think about our own tendencies and our own weaknesses. For example, I'm going to give you just a few. Do I have a tendency towards self-pity? Okay? Being a victim. Woe is me. I've got it so bad. If that's the tendency, we need to realize that. We need to pause, right? Pause. Pay attention to that. Separate and challenge it with God's truth. We say, in Christ, I'm not a victim. right? I'm a victor. Jesus has conquered death and hell, the grave. And I'm in union with him by faith. So we challenge that tendency that we have, okay? He's the ultimate champion. I'm in union with him. Or maybe my tendency is to be overly critical of myself. I've shared that about myself. Beat myself up to fixate on my own failures and regrets, to degrade myself. I say, you're so stupid, Jeff, right? I I say that to myself. What do I do? That's my tendency. The enemy knows that. I pause. I pay attention. I try to separate from that, and I challenge that with God's truth. If, If I... If I fixate on my past failures, I can think, you know what? This is a challenging. I can think, you know what? I've already gone through that once, right? God wanted me to go through that one time. He doesn't want me to go through it every day. <laughs> it's happened one time. 
I don't need to go through that thing every single day. And God's sovereignty has allowed me to go through whatever I went through once. And that means he wanted me to go through it once, not over and over again. Okay? So I'm not going to believe that. I'm going to ask God's forgiveness, believe, I'm going to repent, I'm going to believe that he's forgiven me, and then I can move on. We looked at Zechariah 3 last week, where Satan is accusing you. We don't want to accuse ourselves. We don't want to be on the same side as Satan accusing ourselves, right? Also, just think to yourself, if you have a tendency to talk to yourself very poorly, just think, would I talk to a friend like that? (laughs) Would I say to a friend, man, you're so stupid. You keep doing the same thing. I wouldn't say that to a friend. So why would I talk to myself like that? So is that your tendency? Or maybe your tendency is to want to be in control, even in areas where you don't have any responsibility. So you, how do people control? This is not all bad, right? But, but we, people that like, I can have this tendency too. We want to give advice when it's not our place to give advice. We want to criticize. We get angry. We load guilt trips on them. If you really cared or, you know, if you really, you don't love me because you don't, that's trying to control, okay? If that's our tendency, we need to realize that and we need to, challenge that tendency stop pause and challenge that maybe your tendency is anxiety very common and maybe your tendency is if we face a challenge rather than face that thing head on we become anxious and we avoid it okay we can be anxious about social settings so what do you do you avoid them you can make up an excuse and back out or if you're a college guy and you want to ask a girl out but you're anxious so you avoid it and don't talk to her Okay, or you're in sales and you know you need to make a sales call but you are anxious so you avoid it you look for ways to get out of it or you got a job interview and you're nervous and you're thinking about canceling or you're nervous about your first day at school or you're anxious about going to church whatever it is if your tendency is to avoid those situations don't let that anxiety control you pause, pay attention, ask for God's help His grace is sufficient, right? we challenge it with God's truth I mean, how many times, something like 365 times God says in his, in his word, fear not, do not be afraid. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. How about this? Psalm 56.3, I love this. Think about this. When I am afraid, not if, you will be afraid. When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you, God. So what is God telling us in all this? Again, if you realize your tendency is to be anxious and avoid, he wants us to face our challenges, not avoid them. Think about Jonah. When Jonah was called to do something, he didn't want to do it. What did he do? He went the other way. He avoided it. It's not a good solution. Avoiding, if you were able to manage things by avoidance, that's not a good way to deal with it. Okay? When Jonah ran, it didn't go well. So my encouragement is to face challenges head on. Don't avoid them. You can reinterpret. When I coached my kids and I coached boys, baseball, I would tell them, you can reinterpret, right? You can reinterpret things. So if, you're, if your emotion is nervous, fear, anxiety, for example, when I was about to come up here, for some reason I had a nerves that I haven't had in a while. I don't know why. Is it spiritual warfare? Is it something else? I had these nerves. You know what I, you know what I say to that to myself? I interpret it, and I'm like, God's sovereign. He loves me, and I'm not nervous. I'm excited. I reinterpret that. I'm excited about this. I would tell the kids if they would go, hit, go to hit at a baseball game, they'd be nervous. No, you're not nervous. You're excited. 
feels the same, but you're excited, okay? You're excited about what God is about to do, all right? So, so we, we teach, we speak truth to ourselves in all these things. We face things head on. And knowing that, look, it's all for God's glory. Your Heavenly Father loves you. When you make any effort to do this, your Heavenly Father is so proud of you when you do that. Just like when a dad is proud of his kids or a mom is proud of her kids when they make an effort. Our Father is so proud of us. We make efforts to do things like this, okay? And, when, and even if you do something, you have an interview, you do something that doesn't even go that well, it doesn't matter. We persevere. We, we say, I'm not going to give up. That's a huge part of the book of Hebrews is persevering and just saying, I'm not going to give up. That's a massive part of one of these thoughts is just saying, by God's grace, I'm just not going to give up. Persevere, keep fighting. Know that, for example, if you're anxious about this, know that you're going to have to introduce yourself to hundreds of people before you get comfortable or you're going to have to make 100 sales calls or whatever. Just know that that is part of the process. So embrace these challenges. So again, think about whatever your tendencies are as you're thinking about emotions and thoughts. Think about how you, how, how you address challenges. Again, the key is what is your response to these sufferings, okay? Speaking of challenges, and I'm almost done, but speaking of challenges, this is something that is so important, and I really want us to embrace this. I think it's absolutely vital for fighting for faith, dealing with thoughts and emotions and all that, Growing spiritually for the glory of God is so huge. You ready? Here it is. Embrace hardships. That's a massive part of the book of Hebrews. Embrace hardships. In Hebrews 12, in a few weeks, we're going to look at a big part of what God is telling us is embrace hardships. How? What, so, so you start thinking... What thoughts, what, what truth from God's word could I know, could I embrace, could I set my mind on to embrace hardships? When Hebrews 12, one aspect of it is, those hardships are from your heavenly father. He cares about you, and he knows you're going to have to go through these. How about Romans 8, 28, right? And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. The short version is this, God uses everything in your life for your good. God uses everything, everything, especially suffering, for your good. God has a plan with it. How about James 1? James 1, almost the very first words out of the mouth of James in the book of James is verses 2 and 3. Count it all joy, right? Think, ponder. Count it all joy, my brothers. When what? When you meet trials of various kinds, when you meet suffering, what do you do? You think, you consider it joy. You embrace hardship, right? When you face hardships, you embrace them. You don't run from them. This is how, this is so huge, and I'm only beginning to learn this, this is how God grows us in steadfastness, which is the book of Hebrews, perseverance and toughness. Like I said, when we get to Hebrews 12, but I, we'll go more about this, but I really want you to believe this, that I need suffering to become the person God wants me to be. I need it. There's no other way. To become the person God wants me to be, to become the person I want to be, 
I must go through hardships. I must go through trials. We think this. No, there's another way. There has to be another way, right? If there was another way, if there was an easier way, God would make it for you that way. But he will not settle for for you to stay where you are. He is going to change you. And the only way that he can do that is through hardships. Even We'll look at it, even Jesus in his humanity had to learn obedience through suffering. That's what the Bible says. If Jesus was without sin and he had to learn obedience through suffering in his humanity, you and I need hardship, all right? So a good way to think of it is, is this may seem weird, but you can say, I embrace hardships. I want hardships. I wish it was tougher, right? Is that a, is that a, does that sound strong or does that sound weak? I wish it was tougher. I wish it was harder. Now, now thank you, God, it's not. But hey, I, there's a part of me that wishes it was tougher because I know that my heavenly father is using these hardships for my good because he loves me and he won't settle. So embrace hardships. Look forward to hardships when you're in the midst of it. Look forward to them, embrace them. When they come, thank God for them. Count it all joy when you face trials and hardships. You can say, I wish it was tougher. I wish it was harder. Do hard things, right? That's what my daughter says. Do hard things. If a college freshman girl can have that attitude, you can too, all right? Do hard things. Last thing is important. I want to wrap up with this. As important as, and I've said this before, as important as the thoughts and emotions and all this is, ultimately it's the glory of God is what we're talking about. I don't want you to, I want us to be emotionally healthy, right? I want that, but ultimately what I want is for us to to glorify God. As Jesus says in Matthew 6, he's been talking about anxiety and consider the birds of the air. How does he finish? Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the glory of God, meaning God himself should be our goal. Meaning our relationship with God through Jesus Christ should be our primary concern. And then Jesus says, and then all these things will be added to you, okay? So I want us to do all this, but remember that really our ultimate goal should be for the glory of God. Westminster Confession, we glorify God, how? By enjoying him forever, by being in intimacy with him, okay, by by glorifying Christ. Look at look at this is the last one. Look at Matthew eleven. Flip to Matthew eleven real quick, and then we'll be done. Matthew eleven twenty eight. What Jesus says here is, when we come to Him, when we make Him. Our number one priority, the beautiful thing is he gives us rest, eternal rest. This is salvation, okay? Having good emotions is not the ultimate goal. The glory of God is being in relationship with God through his son, and he gives us eternal rest. Look at Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30. You probably know it. This is Jesus speaking. Hear him talk to you. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We're made for rest in Christ. We're made for eternal rest, salvation. This is what we're made for. Jesus says that he is gentle and lowly in heart. He's caring. He wants to take your burdens from you. So seek him first. Give your burdens over to him and he will give you 
rest. That means repent of your sins, turn to him in faith, right? Give, give up control of your life, your self-will, living for yourself, and live for Christ. He wants to give you rest, rest for your soul, eternal rest, which is salvation. This is what we're made for. This is why we're here, again, to be in a loving relationship with him. So if you have not repented of your sin, that's what I'm asking you to do. That's what Jesus is calling you to do. And I pray that you'd hear his voice. And then, as we do this, we get the joy, we get all these things added to us, and God gets the glory. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. Our Father and our God, we love you and praise you, Lord. Thank you for your truth. I do pray for my friends here. I pray that we would be people who, as we're going to talk more about in a few weeks, really embrace hardships. Really embrace them because we know that they come from your good hand. Doesn't mean we can't grieve. We're called to grieve, right? We're called to grieve. We're called to rejoice with those who are rejoicing and weep with those who are weeping. Doesn't mean it's easy. It's very hard. But I do pray that we would embrace hardship I pray that you would help us really, Lord, in the midst of emotional turmoil, whatever we're going through, that we would fix our minds on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Help us, Lord, with that. We love you, Holy Spirit. We need you. Thank you for my friends here. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to us in the quiet. Just as we're taking the Lord's Supper, that you would speak to us allow us to really evaluate things like our own tendencies and where we need to really come to you with open hands and and really receive your rest. Because Jesus, you want to take our burdens from us. So I pray that you would help us to, to hand those over to you. We love you. Jesus, thank you for being our Savior and our King and for caring about us so much. Thank you, Father, for being our our Father, our Dad, and for loving your kids so well. Holy Spirit, thank you for being with us, our comforter, counselor. Thank you, Lord. We praise you and love you. We pray this in Christ's name.